The New Theology. This is number one in this series entitled Only Believe. As an introduction, I would like to ask you a question. What is happening in our beloved Seventh-day Adventist Church? Many of our members are becoming confused as to what to believe. Some are actually leaving the structure to attend home churches. Why is this? Not because the pastors or the churches are unfriendly, but because they are hearing a different gospel being preached from some Adventist pulpits, a gospel that is different from that found in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. And this is a most serious situation. As we examine this perplexing problem, let us first seek the help of God. Will you join me in prayer? O loving Father, our church is facing a very critical emergency, for it is being divided into two camps, each teaching a different gospel, affecting the conscience of pastors, teachers, and laymen. We ask that the Holy Spirit, which has been promised to guide us into all truth, be present in this study, opening our eyes to the real and only gospel as found in inspiration. We want to be ready to enter Zion's pearly gates because we have kept the truth by thy mighty power. We ask these blessings in the name of Jesus, thy dear Son, who died for us. Amen. This is the first tape in a series on the new theology. Be sure to listen to each tape that follows, that you may discern the difference between the false and the genuine. We shall begin by reading from God's holy word. Turn with me to James 2, 20 to 26. I read. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot 
justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. In the book by Ellen White entitled Faith and Works, page 47, inspiration clarifies this scripture so clearly that there can be no possible misunderstanding. Quote, Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6 There are many in the Christian world who claim that all that is necessary to salvation is to have faith. Works are nothing. Faith is the only essential. But God's word tells us that faith without works is dead, being alone. Many refuse to obey God's commandments, yet they make a great deal of faith. But faith must have a foundation. God's promises are all made upon conditions. If we do his will, if we walk in truth, then we may ask what we will, and it shall be done unto us. While we earnestly endeavor to be obedient, God will hear our petitions, but he will not bless us in disobedience. If we choose to disobey his commandments, we may cry, faith, faith, only have faith. And the response will come back from the sure word of God, faith without works is dead, James 2.20. Such faith will only be as sounding brass and a tingling cymbal. In order to have the benefits of God's grace, we must do our part. We must faithfully work and bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. Continuing on page 49 of the same book, I read, faith and works will keep us evenly balanced and make us successful in the work of perfecting Christian character. Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Matthew 7.21 Speaking of temporal food, the apostle said, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Second Thessalonians 3.10 The same rule applies to our spiritual nourishment. If any would have the bread of eternal life, 
let him make efforts to obtain it. We are living in an important and interesting period of this earth's history. We need more faith than we have yet had. We need a firmer hold from above. Satan is working with all power to obtain the victory over us, for he knows that he has but a short time in which to work. Paul had fear and trembling in working out his salvation, and should not we fear lest the promise being left us, we should any of us seem to come short of it and prove ourselves unworthy of eternal life? We should watch unto prayer, strive with agonizing effort to enter in at the straight gate. Unquote. So this is the problem facing our church. For years, modern Babylon has been teaching that Jesus kept the law for us. Therefore, it is not necessary for us to keep the law. All that we need to do is believe that Christ obeyed the law for us. Therefore, it makes no difference what we do in our daily deportment. We may continue to sin till Jesus comes and still be saved. Such teachings come straight from the doctrines of devils. Now as we get started in this new series, it would be well to remind ourselves how God led this church into the pure gospel. It is absolutely amazing to discern how the Holy Spirit, through the servant of the Lord, guided our pioneers so clearly that they were able to distinguish truth from error and separate from Babylon's false teachings. But today, the devil is once again invading the top leadership who are misleading thousands to accept the errors of Babylon. So let us refresh our minds as to how God miraculously led these people into the pure gospel of salvation. I shall read from Manuscript Release 207. Quote, My husband, Elder Joseph Bates, Father Pierce, Elder Edson, a man who was keen, noble, and true, and many others whose names I cannot now recall, were among those who, after the passing of the time in 1844, searched for truth. At our important meetings, these men met together and searched for the truth as for hidden treasure. I met with them, and we studied and prayed earnestly, 
for we felt that we must learn God's truth. Often we remained together until late at night, and sometimes through the entire night, praying for light and studying the word. As we fasted and prayed, great power came upon us. But I could not understand the reasoning of the brethren. My mind was locked, as it were, and I could not comprehend what we were studying. Then the Spirit of God would come upon me. I would be taken off in vision, and a clear explanation of the passages we had been studying would be given to me with instruction as to the position we were to take regarding truth and duty. A line of truth extending from that time to the time when we shall enter the city of God was plainly marked out before me, and I gave my brethren and sisters the instruction that the Lord had given me. They knew that when not in vision, I could not understand these matters, and they accepted as light direct from heaven the revelations given me, the leading points of our faith as we hold them today were firmly established. Point after point were clearly defined, and all the brethren came into harmony." Unquote. We need to ever consider that if we are tempted to embrace new doctrinal teachings which differ from the faith delivered to our pioneers, that we are in danger of rejecting the light given by the Holy Spirit. God has always promised to increase our light by fuller development, but he never changes his truth. In Jeremiah 6, 16, we read, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. In view of this divine counsel, let us consider how we have been warned of what will happen in this end time and what God is expecting of his servants, the shepherds. Quote, God calls for men of decided fidelity. He has no use in an emergency for two-sided men. He wants men who will lay their hand upon a wrong work and say, this is not according to the will of God. Unquote. That's found in letter 19 and a half in the year 1897. This is why I have been compelled by the Holy Spirit 
to speak out concerning this new theology. We have been told how we can be shielded from these seductive delusions of Satan. Listen to this quotation from some selective messages, number three, page 83 and 84. Quote, Men may get up scheme after scheme, and the enemy will seek to seduce souls from the truth. But all who believe that the Lord has spoken through Sister White and has given her a message will be safe from the many delusions that will come in these last days. And may I add, let us never forget that. As, these, as this new theology invades the church, we see prophecy being fulfilled right before our eyes. Quote, The world seems to be going mad. We are fast approaching a condition of anarchy and wild uncertainty. And it will seek to pervade all our ranks of Seventh-day Adventists, unquote. That's letter 40A, 1897. Isn't that an amazing prediction? And believe me, we can see it happening today. Listen to this, quote. In these last days, false teachers will arise and become actively zealous. False theories will be mingled with every phase of experience and advocated with satanic earnestness in order to captivate the mind of every soul who is not rooted and grounded in full knowledge of the sacred principles of the Word. In the very midst of us will arise false teachers giving heed to seducing spirits whose doctrines are of satanic origin. The teachers will draw away disciples after them. Confessions will be made, but no real reformation takes place, and erroneous theories bring ruin upon unsuspecting souls because these souls believe and rely upon the men advocating these theories. If you and Harold, January 7, 1904. Again I read, quote, False theories clothed with garments of light will be presented to God's people. It is fearfully dangerous now to be unable to discern the truth. Unquote. If you and Harold, October 13. 1904. And again, we read, quote, When the power of God testifies as to what is truth, that truth is to stand forever as the truth. 
no after suppositions contrary to the light God has given are to be entertained. Men will arise with interpretations of Scripture which are to them truth, but which are not truth. The truth for this time God has given us as a foundation of our faith. He himself has taught us what is truth. You know, I just feel like saying, praise the Lord. I continue reading. One will arise and still another with new light which contradicts the light that God has given under the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. We are not to receive the words of those who come with a message that contradicts the special points of our faith. They gather together a mass of scripture and pile it up as proof around their asserted theories. This has been done over and over again during the past 50 years. And while the scriptures are God's word and are to be respected, the application of them is such application moves one pillar from the foundation that God has sustained these 50 years. It is a great mistake. He who makes such an application knows not the wonderful de demonstration of the Holy Spirit that gave power and force to the past messages that have come to the people of God. That's quoted from Preach the Word, page 5, 1905. Again I quote, Satan works today as he worked in heaven to divide the people of God in the very last state of this earth's history. He seeks to create dissension and to arouse contention and discussion and to remove, if possible, the old landmarks of truth committed to God's people. He tries to make it appear as if the Lord contradicts himself. It is when Satan appears as an angel of light that he takes souls in his snare, deceiving them. Men who pretend to have been taught of God will adopt fallacious theories and in their teaching will so adorn these fallacies as to bring in satanic delusions. Thus Satan will be introduced as an angel of light and will have opportunity to present his pleasing fables. Manuscript release number 222. In October of 1903, Ellen White urged immediate action to forestall the new theology teaching that God had revealed would soon invade the church in the end time. She stated there would be books of a new order that would change truth to error. I quote, The enemy of souls has sought to bring in the supposition 
that a great reformation was to take place among Seventh-day Adventists, and that this reformation would consist in giving up the doctrines which stand as the pillars of our faith and engaging in a process of reorganization. Were this reformation to take place, what would result? The principles of truth that God in his wisdom has given to the remnant church would be discarded. Our religion would be changed. The fundamental principles that have sustained the work for the last 50 years would be accounted as error. A new organization would be established. Books of a new order would be written. A system of intellectual philosophy would be introduced. The founders of this system would go into the cities and do a wonderful work. The Sabbath, of course, would be lightly regarded as also the God who created it. Nothing would be allowed to stand in the way of this new movement. The leaders would teach that virtue is better than vice. But, God being removed, they would place their dependence on human power, which, without God, is worthless. Their foundation would be built on the sand, and storm and tempest would sweep away the structure. Who has authority to begin such a movement? We have our Bibles. We have our experience attested to by the miraculous working of the Holy Spirit. We have a truth that admits of no compromise. Shall we not repudiate everything that is not in harmony with this truth? That's taken from Special Testimonies, Series B, number 7, page 39 and 40. And so, beloved, it is no wonder that there is an apostate theology of assurance and salvation being promoted today from the very top of the structure. I believe this apostasy to be exactly what the servant of the Lord called the Omega, as found in Selected Messages 1, page 177 and 205. There will be more about this in a coming tape. We are told that there would be few champions of truth within the church at the end time. And sad to say that the majority would reject the pure gospel. With chilling accuracy, we see the fulfillment of Paul's prophecy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits 
and doctrines of devils. Let's face it. Quote, Every wind of doctrine will be blowing. Unquote. Testimonies 5, page 80. It is not uncommon to hear the doctrine of the Nicolodians, which God says in Revelation 2.6 that he hates. This gospel being presented from Seventh-day Adventist pulpits. This doctrine teaches that we may sin and live. The liberals among us are teaching Calvinistic concepts so that we are losing our distinctive pillars of faith because we are taught to blindly accept leadership. The results are inevitable. The church is becoming ecumenical and losing sight of the true identity of the Antichrist. It is plain to see that there are those in leadership today who are attempting to remove the landmarks of truth. Listen from Bible Commentary, number 7, page 985. There will be a removing of the landmarks and an attempt to tear down the pillars of our faith. A more decided effort will be made, and listen to this, a more decided effort will be made to exalt the false Sabbath and to cast contempt upon God himself by supplanting the day he has blessed and sanctified. What an astounding prediction. Now it is here that I must give credit for the following material, which is taken from an appeal to the General Conference President by Elder Bron Spear. Dr. Leroy Froome began the new theology by misquoting Ellen White in order to substantiate a coexistence with the evangelicals. Let us read Ellen White's statement found in The Faith I Live By, page 49, in which she states, quote, In taking upon himself man's nature in its fallen condition, Christ did not in the least participate in its sin, unquote. But we gaze in disbelief when we read from Froome, who changed the meaning of this quotation. Instead of quoting it as it is written, in taking upon himself man's nature in its fallen condition, Christ did not in the least participate in its sin. He changed it to read, took the sinless nature of Adam before his fall, thus implanting words which Ellen White never said. This new theology was followed by Dr. Edward Heppenstall, 
who was at that time the chairman of the systematic theology at Andrews University. He wrote a book on perfection, which he entitled The Impossible Possibility, in which he made 21 statements that it is impossible for Christians to stop sinning even by the power of God. Let me give you an example on page 73 in which he states, quote, The Bible rejects every possibility of our reaching sinless perfection in this life. Unquote. Then next came Dr. Desmond Ford, who was a teacher at Avondale College in Australia and later at Pacific Union College. He made an all-out attack on the sanctuary doctrine in 1979. Then came other books, such as the one printed by Pacific Press entitled Beyond Belief by Jack Sequera, in which he denies many of our basic beliefs. But the most startling apostasy is that being promoted by our president of the General Conference, in which he totally ignores the instructions of the spirit of prophecy, claiming to have made a new discovery. In his book, We Still Believe, he asserts that assurance of salvation is based on grace alone and that our response of sanctified obedience has nothing to do with our salvation. I dis dislike very much using the names of individuals, but when quoting statements given in books, it is necessary to give the name of the author. Therefore, I make no apology in making the following comparisons. In the following quotation, quotations, I shall compare Ford, Sequera, and Falkenberg in their new beliefs concerning the basis of our salvation. First, I quote from Desmond Ford, taken from his book, the Only Two Religions in the World, page 15. Quote, the justification imputed to us is a righteousness which is 100%, but it is not eternal. It is an alien righteousness, that is, outside of us. The righteousness of sanctification, however, is internal. It is the fruit of of our cooperation with the Holy Spirit, but it is not 100%. Thus, we are ever dependent upon the merits of Christ, ever dependent upon justification for our standing with God. Now I hear someone say, well, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But wait, let's find out what's wrong with this as we compare this statement with Sequera's teaching found in Beyond Belief, page 170. 
quote, The righteousness God obtained for all humanity in Christ, justification, is full of merit. It is this alone that qualifies us for heaven now and in the judgment. See Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Titus 3, 5. The righteousness God provides in us, on the other hand, has no saving value. It is never complete in this life. Unquote. Now, if you listen carefully, you will see that the General Conference President believes the same as Ford and C. Quera. I'm quoting from the General Conference President's article in the review of April 1997, entitled, Will the Evangelical Adventist Please Stand Up? Quote, Whatever changes God brings about in us, our salvation must always be based upon what he has done for us. Unquote. Now, clearly think this through. These three statements, as they are compared. But remember, in the scripture, the righteousness of God includes both justification and sanctification. As we compare the writings of these men further, we have noted that Ford declares the righteousness of God is not a hundred percent. Sequera agrees that the righteousness of God has no saving value. And the General Conference President writes that the only thing that counts is what Christ did for us. Yet, anyone who accepts the writings of Paul in the Holy Scriptures must agree that the righteousness of God includes both justification and sanctification. God's righteousness is never to be questioned. For the pardoning righteousness of Christ becomes a living power within us to overcome sin, developing a state of holiness in the believer. A righteous life cannot be separated from the divine living power that breaks the bondage of sin. For as we become united with Christ, the righteousness of God becomes our personal property so that in the final judgment no trace of unrighteousness remains. This is the true meaning of the words the Lord, our righteousness, who changes the believer's heart the moment he is united by faith in Christ and eventually purifies the heart from every sin. Now let us compare again what Ford states in Good News for Adventists, page 14. Quote, We were ruined by our first representative, Adam, and we had nothing to do with that. 
The good news of the gospel is that we have been redeemed by our second representative, Jesus. And mark these words. And we had nothing to do with that either. Unquote. Now we are beginning to see where this new theology is leading. For Ford states, we have nothing to do with Christ's redemption for us. Likewise, Sequera teaches the same in Beyond Belief, page 34, quote, If the downside of the idea of corporate oneness is that we all fell in the one man, Adam, the glorious upside of the idea is that God likewise has redeemed all of us in the one man, Jesus Christ, who is the second Adam, unquote. And now we find the General Conference President agrees with these two men in this book called In Christ, page 5. I read, quote, According to the Bible, two individuals, Adam and Christ, sum up and comprehend all those who have ever lived on the earth. We are all in Adam by reason of our birth. <clears throat> in him, in sin, and death. But the glorious truth of the gospel is that Jesus died for us all, and we were in him on the cross." Unquote. Did you notice the words, we are all in Adam by reason of our birth? Now, if this is true, this applies to Christ. For we read in Desire of Ages, page 49, quote, Like every child of Adam, he, that's Christ, accepted the results of the working of the great law of heredity, unquote. But these men do not accept that Christ was born of the flesh as you and I, yet without sin. They insist that Christ was born with the sinless nature of Adam before his fall. As we compare further, we hear the new theology continually emphasizing the unconditional good news. Ford would have us believe this by stating in his book, Good News for Adventists, page 15, quote, Justify never means to make righteous. Deuteronomy 25.1, Exodus 23.7 Down through the centuries, false religion has made justify means make righteous in the sense of becoming more righteous, unquote. In other words, since justify never means to make righteous, there can be no conditions to salvation. Sequera bluntly states this in his book Beyond Belief, page 36, quote, The gospel is the unconditional good news of salvation for all mankind, unquote. And now the General Conference President in his book we still believe, page 41, 
reveals where this new theology is leading the church. Listen carefully. Quote, This is why the gospel is unconditional good news. Our assurance of salvation is based not on our behavior, but on Christ. Our assurance of salvation is based not on reaching some level of character development, but on our relationship with Jesus. Unquote. And on page 42 we read, quote, Such people, legalists, carrying an anti-chip grace banner, back themselves in the other extreme, falling into the ditch of conditional justification and sacrificing the peace of mind that is born of assurance in Christ. Unquote. Now listen. Here is to be found another gospel which is contrary to the writings of both the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. For the assurance taught by Ford, Sequera, and Falkenberg teaches that we need do nothing but believe, that our behavior has nothing to do with our character development. In other words, we can sin and yet live. Unquote. This is what Ford is teaching in Good News for Adventist, page 15. Quote, As soon as the sinner exercises faith in the atonement of the cross, he or she is declared righteous, perfect, and without condemnation. Notice, these blessings are retained as long as he or she believes, despite personal mistakes and failures. Note it well. Justification does not cover only our past, but all our days, unquote. And whether you like it or not, that's the teaching of once saved, always saved. Sequera teaches the same in his book, Beyond Belief, page 166. Notice these words. Stumbling under grace, falling into sin, does not deprive us of justification. Neither does it bring condemnation, unquote. Such a statement is unbelievable in view of David's sin and his response to the prophet's words, Thou art the man. Who would ever think that the time would come in our beloved church when books would be printed with another gospel telling us that we can sin without condemnation. And Falkenberg agrees with this new theology, for I read in his book, Called in Grace, page 22, quote, We obtain salvation 
through agreeing to enter a relationship of trust in Jesus. Here it is again. And occasional good deeds and misdeeds neither make nor break that relationship. Unquote. And finally, in his book, We Still Believe, page 40, I read, Finally, I discovered that our assurance of salvation is based on God's grace by faith, not on our behavior or character development. Each sin we may commit does not turn off salvation in our lives. Unquote. So there you have it. It's clear where this new theology is leading. For deportment, behavior, character development means absolutely nothing. You may sin till Jesus returns and you will be saved. This is exactly what Satan would have us believe. So, when the Sunday law becomes a final issue, since our behavior means nothing, it will be urged by leadership to go along with the law since the new theology has successfully evaded the issue of the mark of the beast, preparing a people to keep Sunday. God help us. In closing, I must bring to your attention the following quotations to help you hold fast to the truth. In Acts of the Apostles, page 482, we read, quote, Our only ground of hope is in the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and in that wrought by His Spirit working in and through us. The work of gaining salvation is one of co-partnership, a joint operation. Human effort of itself is not sufficient. Without the aid of divine power, it avails nothing. God works and man works." Unquote. So there is no such thing as taught in the new theology of unconditional requirements for eternal life. In Matthew 19, 16 to 17, Behold, one came and said unto him, Good Master, what good thing should I do that I might have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. So there is condition. Luke ten twenty five to 27. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, 
Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. Again, you notice there is a condition. Romans 2, 7 to 8 and 13. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Again, here we find there is a condition. Hebrews 5, 9, And being made perfect, Christ became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. In Bible Commentary 7, page 972, the gospel that is to be preached to all nations, kindreds, tongues, and peoples represents the truth in clear lines showing that obedience is the condition of gaining eternal life. Unquote. So, it is a lie to state that there is no such thing as conditions when you state the unconditional good news of salvation. In Review and Herald, June 26, 1900, are these words, quote, When the lawyer came to Christ saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The Savior did not say, Believe, only believe, and you will be saved. What is written in the law, he said? How readest thou? Hear the false doctrine that man has nothing to do but believe is swept away. Eternal life is given to us on the condition that we obey the commandments of God. Unquote. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for the scriptures and the spirit of prophecy that leave no doubt that the condition of eternal life is based on obedience. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name for the mighty power of God that can overcome all sin and assure us of divine power to overcome. Friend, be sure to listen to our next tape number two entitled The Omega, which will be delivered to you on and about May the 1st. Like Jesus